1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leder.
3: I'm David Jenkins.
4: I'm Hannah Strong. I'm Sophie Monks Kaufman.
2: And on the show this week, we have one final film to discuss before the end of the year Julia Ducournau's Titan. And then we're diving into Little White Lies picks for the best films of 2021. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Oh, we have three contributors. On the podcast this week, Sophie. It's always a pleasure. Welcome back. How have you been?
4: I've been all over the shop. High highs, low lows. Such is life.
2: <laughs> well, hopefully, this is one of those highs. Being on the podcast with oh, us, yeah. We'll oh see. yeah, oh yeah.
4: I mean, all these little faces, very
2: cute. <laughs> <laughs> David, how are things going at Little White Lies HQ towards the end of the year?
3: Yeah, hec- hectic final put big push before we can all go and uh, have a a sweet sherry. But um, yeah, um, looking forward to being able to, to clock off and hoping that I maybe avoid the the Rona. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, a few, few little things there uh, to, to consider.
2: Absolutely. And Hannah, I guess we're now going to be looking back at the best films of the year. How's 2021 been film wise for you?
5: Well at the time of recording this I haven't seen The Matrix so you know we're doing this with a caveat that The Matrix might blow all our minds. Um, I think it's been a strong year you know I think I say that every year but I do think considering the circumstances and having so much moving around and so much pushed back and festivals being in such a weird state I think everyone's done really well so everyone should pat themselves on the back. Filmmakers, critics, actors, good job everyone. And also audiences as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, those (laughs) two. Well
5: done
4: anyone listening who's made it through this year. It's not been easy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, very good good point, Sophie. But before we put a bow on top of twenty twenty one, we do have one final new release week to discuss and one of the most conversation starting films of the year to talk about, Titan. let's start with a bit of plot synopsis for Titan. Newcomer Agathe Roussel plays Alexia, a young homicidal woman who, following an accident in her childhood, has an unusual bond with cars, a relationship that goes as far as consummation. When her murderous tendencies make her a fugitive, she disguises herself as a boy and forms a very ambivalent bond with the chief of a firefighting unit. So we've been talking about this film or other people have been talking about this film almost for the entirety of this year of course it was the cover film for the most recent issue of little white lies so let's dial the clocks all the way back sophie coming to titan for the first time off the back of julia docono's previous film raw what were your expectations going in and how did they play out
4: yeah so raw really meant a a great deal to me um and Roar has this great coherent central metaphor of a sexual awakening. You know, uh, this character discovers a desire for flesh eating and that's that sort of very much clearly means she's got a awakening for the pleasures of the flesh. And I, I think I was going into Detain expect, expecting a similarly neat container. So it kind of took me aback the first time I saw it that it's a very different kind of playbook. And I would also, I'd make the comparison to like... Jordan Peele's one too with Get Out and Us, whereas Get Out is such a tight, tight central allegory that anyone can see and appreciate, whereas Us is sort of more of a Rorschach text. And yeah, it, it titane as well. I was like, I don't even know what's going on here, <laughs> and I was immediately struck stylistically by it. It's such a bold vision, and the, all the soundtrack choices are incredible. So it was, it, it blew me away on a style level. But it wasn't really until I watched it for a second time that I kind of got a, got a read on it, um, and yeah, and actually the second time I saw it I, I I was incredibly moved by the what I saw as the love story element. Um there's so much else going on in it in terms of like bodily transformation and, you know, you know, the, the, the making love with cars. But actually the thing the thing that's st- that, st- that stood out to me was the relationship between Vincent Linden and Agatha Russo and like there's just this line at a certain point where he says, I don't care who you are and I just was like, This is a love story. Like I never saw a character who had such a desire to just love someone else, not even to be loved, but to, to give love as Vincent Lindon's character, also named Vincent. Um, so I don't feel like I have fully cracked it. Like there's any one read that you could kind of put on it that would encapsulate all that it is because there's so much going on. But I kind of think films like that, uh, the most interesting, they inspire the best conversations, the most intriguing writing, it's just such a such a sort of elusive and slippery, but compelling beast of a movie.
2: <laughs> Hannah, were you compelled? Did you get this first time out? Of course, later on in the in the year, you'd eventually have an element of titan tattooed onto you. But uh, <laughs> what, what was your immediate take on it?
5: Yeah. Um, well, I was lucky enough to see this at Cannes with uh, Sophie and some of her other colleagues and friends. And it was definitely one of my most kind of anticipated titles at the festival. And very much... I think my reaction was similar to Sophie's in that I was kind of blown away on an aesthetic level at Cannes. It definitely was kind of a shock to the system in... I I think the festival this year was of a pretty high standard. There were a lot of great films, but there was nothing kind of, I think, as audacious maybe as Titan, And it was this real... um, you know, explosion. Uh, I think even from kind of the first scene, um, it's just yeah. You you basically open on a car wreck. <laughs> mm. um, There's some build up, but yeah, I don't want to say too much because also I'm aware that people listening to this might not have got the chance to see it yet. Um, but I definitely, in that first first time I watched it, it was taken by how sweet it was and how funny it is. It's a very funny film. I think that Julia's sense of humour sometimes gets lost because people are so keen to talk about how um, kind of brutal her work is or how, you know, shocking it is. But um, she's an incredibly funny filmmaker. There's a really hilarious scene where um, Vincent Lenon's character is a firefighter and he's teaching... Um, I through Roussel's character how to do CPR and he's doing it like to the, the tune of the Macarena and uh it's just yeah just a really lovely scene and that is kind of I think probably what stuck with me the most I just think is it's such a for as much as everyone talks about the car <laughs> the car stuff and the um kind of body horror elements. I think it is a very human story about these two outsiders who desperately are looking for their kind of place in the world and haven't been able to find it. And And they find each other and it's kind of, you know, against all the odds, they find this thing they've been looking for. And I think it's a very... It might look like a story... um That's kind of what? How would I say like very out there and very kind of um, zany, but it's not at all really. It's that classic tales old of time thing of outsiders looking for each other, which I think is something that I always am drawn to within cinema. All my favourite films are outsider stories.
2: It's it's sometimes the curse of the festival premiere, isn't it? Where a provocative film, and there are elements of Titan that are, it you know, continuing on from Raw, these specific very visceral moments of shock or gore, and and like with Raw, there were reports of walkouts, reports of fainting in the aisles. I don't know, Sophie or Hannah, if there were any within your within earshot of you when you saw the film, but then that then becomes part of the marketing strategy for the film later down the line and whether there's much beyond that and it sounds like you've both taken you know slightly different things from it david what was your response to titan and then we should probably talk a little bit about the provocative moments as well
3: yeah i mean i i, I wasn't alas at Cairns, but i was kind of monitoring from afar and seeing the reviews coming out and it was very kind of fascinating to see this kind of these polarizing takes where on one side you tended to have critics who were very taking the film very literally and picking up on things like you know plot holes and thing and things like very, very kind of conventional things like plot holes and character motivations and then you had this other um contingent who were more like you know oh it's a trip man you know it's just you just got to like go with the flow and let it roll you know let it roll over you and sort of drink it in and uh, you know that definitely was 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 intriguing for me and um yeah, it's probably my favourite film of the year. Actually, uh, I probably would have picked it had I not been talking. Had we not been talking about it now, um, I had a kind of seeing it. I had a sort of quite euphoric experience with it. Like really, one of those kind of not. I think the last time it happened to me was seeing um, Claire Denis' High Life, actually, where I just kind of rolled out of the cinema and into the light and not kind of really knowing where i was and uh, yeah I, I, I feel i feel i feel there's a lot of you know i think you could go into the minutiae of this film and pick apart all, all these kind of themes and ideas and proposals that it's making but i i kind of feel that like it, kind of, it it it's a film that sort of like set it within about the first sort of 5 or 6 minutes it sort of it sort of sets out its own rule book for you to what to to sort of take what it's giving and i think you have to kind of as long as you're kind of attuned to that every, everything just makes sense and you can kind of it just it just kind of you you can just sort of meet with it um even some of the kind of you know quite sort of weirder plot moments and and motivations that may seem on the surface to be quite random like when a character just suddenly has an outburst of violence but yeah, I think I think the the, the overwhelming thing is I th- I I I think I love this kind of discordancy between, uh, and it's a similar thing with High Life that you, you you're being served up these extreme images that are that that are re- that are supposed that are maybe intended to be repellent and graphic and uh, and and make you feel bad, but actually the over like the, the actual overwhelming feeling you get from the film is something that is quite sort of euphoric and positive and. Uh, it's about you know you know it's about love and it's about but it's about like the, the body as well and the the kind of the amazingness of the human body i think and what it and and, and the human mind as well what it can kind of take the the, the sort of battering that, that our bodies can take and still kind of pull through somehow um but yeah i just think um it's a it's it's a real belter and actually like going back to raw I wasn't the massive fan of Raw, to be honest, when I saw it, um, a, the first time. And actually, like reading stuff by, you know, excellent writers such as Sophie and Hannah, uh, who, who 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 make such a compelling case for it, I I revisited it and uh, having seen Titan and and really really liked it a lot more, and you know saw saw the connectivity between the two films much more strongly. And I think that had I had I sort of I think it does a similar thing of like it sets out its own rules and asks you to kind of follow them while you're watching rather than just kind of taking each little thing as a sort of literal, you know, I'm watching a conventional movie that's doing conventional things. So, yeah.
2: It's interesting the way you describe that there, David, that um, when a film like this has that uh, midnight-type film confrontational um, you know, description behind it. This film's going to make you faint. It's going to make you throw up in the hours of the cinema. It may. It feels like it's something that you that that is going to you know, be confrontational. Whereas it sounds like you're describing like just take a trip, take down all the inhibitions and go along with this, and maybe don't ask too many questions is the best way to approach. And I suppose Sophie to wrap up because this film is still being marketed in some way as a body horror film in a David Cronenberg vein, but there's a whole huge chunk of this film that is not really related to so much to body horror I suppose what is the best way to think about this if you're going to do that horrible thing of pigeonholing it but then how would you best recommend going into seeing this film sophie
4: i think with an open mind and in interviews julia de canal has she sort of says she doesn't really relate to that term body horror for her work um even though she owns that she's very influenced by david cronenberg um so I I think just to see it as a human drama and to understand that the more visceral elements are not designed as provocations—they're part of something bigger—and yeah, to to just try and maybe like stand back and think, like get, take a, take a view on it. I, I mm. it also is a bit like it reminds me a bit of Under the Skin as well because I no no one person took the same thing away from that film and. Also, High Life, like these. These are films that are mysterious subjects that tap into something very individual in each viewer. So, I think tap into your individual visions, lads and ladies.
3: <laughs> I, I I would also go. To, I would also say that it it actually deals with an idea which is quite which is quite kind of uncinematic and and just quite difficult. Which is like the the notion that people are, are impulsive and they do things that don't make sense and like. This this film really kind of grabs that idea, um, and 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 asks that you kind of like believe in it, and you know take it as as something that you know like the the, the motivations don't have to make sense, but we've you know people people just do stuff like this. Mm. Um, so,
2: well, there's so much writing out there about this film, a whole issue of Little White Lies as well to read up on. Sophie, I'll come to you first for the scores for Titan. Um This is in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. What would you give it?
4: Yes, I was hotly anticipating it. I, I can't overemphasise how much I got out of Roar, how many times I've watched Roar. I've written about Ruhr, I've interviewed the composer of Roar, Jim Williams, who also was the composer and entertain. Um So big old hefty five in anticipation. Um, so to go by the first time I saw it, I think I was a little bit underwhelmed. Just, but that's on me. That's just like the ex- expectations that you bring to a film. Um, so maybe to to be accurate across both viewings, I'll give it a four. Um, and then in retrospect, it, yeah, in retrospect, it came alive again. So five.
2: Hmm. Hannah, what's your scores?
4: Yeah, mine.
5: I think probably actually be the same as Sophie. I've kind of wrestled with the, what to score this one because it is a difficult one. Um, but definitely a five in anticipation. I also really loved that Julia seemed very protective about the kind of information around this film. Um there wasn't a lot out there. It was very hard to get any read on what the film was actually about. I think before the Cam premiere, all we had to go on was this very vague description and a few like there was a kind of a trailer that was just like images basically. Um So really appreciate that. It's quite rare as a film critic you go into something without knowing anything about it. So that was really nice. So definitely a five in anticipation. Uh, A four in enjoyment. Just because I think at first, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. And also it was coming off the back of a really strong film festival. But I was so happy that it won the Palme d'Or. Really, it felt like a kind of moment, you know, a real statement by the um, jury. So I was... Really happy with that, and yeah. Then a five in retrospect. I've had some great conversations about this film. I've read some really beautiful criticism, and I think it's a really special piece of art. And I really can't wait to see where Julia goes next.
2: And David, what are your scores? Um,
3: I'd probably say um, anticipation was maybe like slightly lower than than than, than these guys because I wasn't I wasn't the massive raw fan but obviously when it won the palm i you know wanted to see it quite a lot so probably a three and then and then just fives for it for i i I can't tell you like how rare it is the feeling that the, the film gave me actually like um just feeling completely like time stopping and then you kind of warped out into into reality again um yeah it, it's a it's a super super rare thing like once every few years a film like that comes along and and just kind of yeah does something um which I, yeah it's just as as sophie says mysterious objects they're the best the best type um yeah and i, I i'm i gonna you know got it all teed up for for christmas day uh with the, with with, the, with, the, with with my nan <laughs>
2: Well, listeners, that's Titan. Sounds like ones who approach with open mind, open arms, open hearts. It's a raw shark test. We'd love to know what you see within it, if anything. Let us know at the usual channels at LW Lies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCO London But before we move on, we do have a clip with an interview with the actor, lead actor from Titan, Vanson Linden. Um, Sophie you spoke with Vincent at the London Film Festival could you tee this interview up for us who he is and what you spoke about?
4: Sure um, one easy shorthand is to say he's France's answer to Tom Cruise he's very famous there less so here but people who are fans of either Claire Denis's work or Stéphane Brise who's sort of a social realist director will be familiar with him because he's appeared in soir and Bastards by Claire Denis and will be in her next film, *Fires*, *Fire*, which also has Juliette Binoche in it. Um, uh, yeah, and so he—I'd he, th- say the revelation of him is that he tends to play really like intense, brooding characters. But I would say he has a deeply impish sensibility, and I think hopefully you'll get a sense of that in the interview where his his answers are good and thoughtful. But you know, be prepared to smile.
2: <laughs> so here he is, Vincent Landor.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What
4: does preparation look like for you, for this character? Because it sounds like you wouldn't want to over-prepare.
7: I was obliged to, because uh, um, you can... You can um, You can um, be a bit tricky with everything but not with the body Uh, at the time Julia said to me you have to be very very um, muscled, and uh, I want a man who that we can imagine in one second that he's doing bodybuilding and he's shooting himself with a steroid to try to be younger, or even to try not to be so old as he is, and he wants to, to, to be in shape and try to lie to himself and lies. Uh, um, I'm not getting older and older, and I'm not going to die because Adrian uh, Alexia is someone who is afraid about the life and about living and um, um, Vincent is somebody who is afraid about death and dying. So um, I was obliged to, to, to make this preparation and um, it takes time and like two years because when you're very young, you can push your body very, very hard during three months and then everything is changed. But when you are after 50, uh, you have to go slow and uh, because not to break something and not to get hurt. So uh, I was like to export every two days, one 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 day on and one day off. And um, you have to change a lot of things right? and uh, to lose weight is more difficult, to muscles is more difficult. Uh, to run, it's more difficult to for the cardio. But I think I love to do that because in a way, uh, I'm not so far from the character. A lot of people say to me in France, uh, wow, we never seen you uh, like that. And uh, that's a big change for you, it's incredible. It's the first time uh, you see you and like that, and send on screen, but which is quite amazing. It's uh, I'm very close from the character. I think we share a lot of um, fear, a lot of um, things, and and maybe reading the script. I saw between the lines a way of... Uh, I, I, I saw that Julia will ask me to prepare my body. And maybe, uh, let, let's see, maybe in, in my mind, and consciously, I said to myself, it's a way. By the way, for me, it's a good way to, to be in shape and to fight. Against uh, against death, against uh, getting older, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to jump on the occasion and and profiter de, de l'occasion. So to to really profit from the opportunity to to
2: rebuild my body, maybe. That was Vincent Landon speaking with Sophie Monk's Kaufman. You can see Vincent in Titan in cinemas now, but next we're going to be talking about The Little White Lies Best Films of the Year. So yes, it is the end of December, and as is customary, we have to pick our favourite films of the year by law. Little White Lies have picked top 30 films of the year and they're up on lwlis.com now for you to look at at your leisure. But for the purposes of this podcast, we have Hannah, David and Sophie. We're going to pick two favourites each from the top 30. Let's start. Hannah, I'll come to you first. What's your first pick of the 30 that you'd like to shout out on this podcast?
5: Yeah, so... I can't tell you where in the list it comes partly because I can't remember, but also because I want it to be a surprise. Um, But the first one I have is The Last Duel by Ridley Scott, starring um, every famous man ever. No, sorry, starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver and Jodie Comer. And I was really pleasantly surprised by this film. I think um, when it was announced, I was very sceptical, you know, Matt Damon Ben Affleck revenge rape revenge film doesn't really strike confidence into the heart of a woman Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised I took myself off to see this when it came out despite it having possibly the worst trailer of all time and only uh, having a very weird release where it was only in cinemas for about three weeks And at very odd times, so it's quite a mission to actually get to see this in cinema. But I was very glad I did. I think it's actually a really intelligent film that really kind of accurately depicts how exhausting it is to be a woman living in the patriarchy, whether it's in medieval France or contemporary England, contemporary world. Um, And I was kind of surprised at the kind of delicacy and care with which ridley uh matt ben and nicole nicole holofsener yeah Yeah. sorry listeners that's me trying trying nobody to pronounce her name correctly but she she co-wrote the screenplay with uh ben and matt who kind of brought her on begged her by by all accounts (laughs) to come and um write the screenplay with them and i think it, it makes it a better story I think it makes it kind of more human Um, but the thing that kind of really surprised me is that it's actually a very funny film at times obviously there's this really deeply traumatic event at the core but I think it does a really great job of underpinning how like silly um, the kind of overwhelming machismo is within this court where you have Ben Ben Affleck playing uh, this Count who's kind of overseeing the local duchy, and Matt Damon and Adam Driver, the two knights kind of uh, vying for his favour. Jodie Covey plays Matt Damon's betrothed/slash wife, and she accuses uh, Adam Driver's character of raping her, so Jacques Legris. And um, you get this Rosherman-style three versions of the same event taking place but it's very clear to me that there is one account that is the true account Um, it's been fascinating watching the kind of discourse around this film which I think has been absolutely terrible because people don't seem intelligent enough to realize what the film is telling them and the film is telling them that Jodie Comer's account is the honest account of what happened anyway by the by I think it is just a really engrossing action epic with the 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 titular last duel scene is incredible it's like a real feat of fight choreography i think that jodie coma kind of gives this performance for the ages um she's not someone i've really ever cared about that much um i'm not really a killing eve person and i didn't really like her free guy so i was really pleasantly surprised to hear I think that Adam driver's kind of doing something different here from how we've seen him before playing like quite a dislikable sort of a weaselly little character in this. And then you've got Ben Affleck going like hell for leather doing this absolutely ridiculous, um, very sort of like teenage boy in the body of a 40 year old thing. Uh, and he has just this horrible bleach blonde bowl cut. And there's a scene where he has to pronounce a swear word that, if I say it, will get bleeped. And it's just like the most delicious line reading of the year. Just like the enunciation in his voice when he says it. Oh, it's like poetry. But yeah, I, I definitely think that people should kind of seek this out. It's on Disney Plus um, and might maybe make up their own mind about it because I think the the kind of online conversations about have been quite exhausting and quite um misrepresenting what the film is so yeah that would it would definitely be it's not going to be for everyone but it would be one of my um underseen gems of the year for sure
2: yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to watching that over the christmas break catching up with it having not been able to make it out to any of those rare cinema screenings <laughs> in that brief window it was in cinemas that's, thank you for that Hannah. that's a, Good, strong recommendation for The Last Duel. David, I'll come to you next. What's your first pick of the bunch?
3: Uh, I think I'll go for um, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car, Uh, the the, uh, three-hour Japanese drama um, based on uh, Haruki Murakami's short story. Um, kind of extrapolated from the st- short story, and that it kind of takes the the text as a sort of starting point and drags it off in all these kind of strange directions. the The basic plot is that you have uh, a husband and wife who have this quite sort of strange relationship, and at the moment where she is going to reveal s- something about her kind of what he suspects to be her kind of infidelities, she she drops dead. And and he is sort of left, you know, to to sort of ponder this mystery, um, and does so while um, directing a, a version of the Chekhov play Uncle Vanya. Um,
4: it's happened to all of us. It's, it's
3: it's a classic arc, really. I mean, it's you know, uh, we, we who can't relate to that. I mean you know she's she's having dreams of lampreys you know it's the it's, it's the it's all the classic stuff um but yeah it's it's just this he I'll, yeah i'll try and keep it pithy he's just this incredible talent i think um we had in the sort of 90s there was like loads and loads of japanese films coming out in the uk um you had people like kitano um who and um uh Takeshi Miike making all these great films and there was and there was much more of a scene and this feels like a kind of return of like Japanese auteur cinema on the world stage. Uh I think he's he's made another film called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy which is um not not quite up there but it has moments of 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 absolute magnificence in it. Um uh and yeah this this film just deals with all of his abiding interests such as like um uh, the sort of the sort of intersections between performance and life, and how you know drama and acting and pretending seeps into kind of reality and dreams, um, and yeah, I mean the the reason why it's called Drive My Car is because the the sort of plot pivots towards this relationship he has with a with this young taciturn female chauffeur who drives him back and forth to the uh, performance space for for insurance reasons and very 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 slowly but surely they kind of strike up a relationship and there's just all these kind of just jaw-dropping sequences in it where you know you have these very like you have he takes very kind of simple ideas about and, and very conventional ideas about you know people rehearsing a play or people going going for dinner or people talking in a car and just does these weird like twists them in these quite in these quite strange ways that makes that, that that kind of draws all these extra details and uh extra kind of points of emotional contact out of them um i it's it's a film that i i think i don't think it like completely works for me on a plot level there are some there are some like tiny little kind of niggles in there that i have but like uh, the the overall sense of it is just so overwhelming and and so impressive and so and just so ambitious that yeah I, I can't I can't help but but love it really
2: I think Drive My Car ties with Titan as, uh, for the film that we've spoken about the most on this podcast over, over the last year because of its various festival um, appearances on those updates and also on release that's I, I'd say that's probably my film of the year but Sophie what's your first pick out of these best films of 20. well, first so of all you. if
4: you're into drive my car entertain then you guys are auto autophiles i swear to god <laughs> yeah
2: yeah so yeah we're gearheads
4: we? <laughs> we should yeah you should, should get on what's that show that jeremy clarkson i don't know um i want to say total gear that shows how not a that's head. going to be
2: our knockoff of top gear is total yeah there gear. we
4: go not total gear top gear um, yes, so I I was incredibly moved by Darius Marder's Sound of Metal, which, just to recap, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, but maybe also a lot of people haven't. It, it starts out, you're on stage with Riz Ahmed, who's a metal drummer, as he just starts to lose his hearing. Um, and this sets in motion Great Panic, from his girlfriend played by Olivia Cook, that this is going to cause him to backslide into addiction. We glean that he's a recovered addict. And then so to sort of preempt this, he goes to a a sort of very very unusual kind of facility which is is like a it, it it's for it's for deaf people and it's like very holistic and it's run by a former Vietnam vet played with just the most just ah oh, beautiful humanity by Paul Ratchie. so it's a film that is it's sort of it, it it's about this man who seems to have one problem but it's actually another problem it, it it's it's like the hearing loss is is a MacGuffin almost because it's like can he actually slow down and embrace his hand in life and um God, it's just so gripping and there are so many sequences that are just very, very lovely. Like I'm thinking about because he's the he's a character, Rosamond's character who Ruben, he he doesn't really want to be there. He wants he wants to at at the at the retreat, he he wants to fix his hearing and be on his way and continue his career as a metal drummer and little by little he starts to think maybe there, are, there are other things I could I could get out of being here. And when he starts to communicate with the the deaf children and and scenes like this, it yeah. It, it, so it's it's this kind of rare film where you, along with the character, your perception of what needs to happen increases, and it it just feels really profound and beautiful. And I really recommend listening to friend of the podcast Al Horner has a, a podcast of his own called Script Apart. And he, he talks to Darius Marder. And what I found revelatory about the interviews is, is sort of the years and years and years spent on realising this film. And that's something that maybe gets lost in the sort of churn of week-in, week-out releases is some films are, re- are real labours, real profound labours of love. I keep saying profound, but just it moved me so much. Like, what I favourite in films is, is something I can kind of... I feel like it's vast enough that I could sort of find a place for myself in it, you know? And... The film could maybe be my my friend, um, uh, and it yeah is like that. This film is is a friend to me, and it has the most. It has the most just perfect ending. It's like a quiet ending. It's not this great crescendo, and the quietness is kind of the point because this is a man who, as the title of the film suggests, it's he's about noise and loudness, and then there's just very quiet ending, and it's it's just heart stopping. I mean, no, I didn't die. It, it's heart moving. Mm. Yeah.
2: I think that's such a lovely pick as well because when we talk about films in end of year lists like this, they could become quite abstracted from the experience of watching them for the first time and sound of metal for many of us would have been one of the first films we saw when cinemas reopened toward, you know, with, with a vengeance at the beginning of 2021. And it's a film that with its sound design, with its performances, really was you know, used cinema to its fullest to take you on that journey. Oh, that's, that's a really good pick. Thank you, Sophie. Um, Hannah, I'll My come pleasure. Back. <laughs> come back to you again, Hannah.
7: Mm.
5: Uh, yeah, so my other pick, I'd like to also echo as well the picks of my fellow critics. I, I very much like all of these films. Um, but yeah my other pick is a debut uh from michael zanowski this kind of came out of nowhere i think this year don't think anyone really knew about it until it was released and it's probably a film that would have been at festivals had it been a normal year but it's it's called pig um i believe it was discussed on the podcast but i was not on that week so maybe if you are interested in it you can go back and listen to that episode but yeah so it's it's Uh, a knickers cage film and i think a lot of people kind of falsely assumed it would be another um revenge romp with all guns blazing uh but actually it's a very quiet very soulful film about this um man rob who lives in the forest with his truffle pig and they hunt for truffles together and that's how they make their uh their, their livelihood, they live this very simple existence. And then one day his pig is um, taken in the night by strangers, and Rob kind of has to go on this journey to find the pig. Um, which is, I'm trying not to say too much because I think it is one of those films that really benefits from not knowing what you're getting yourself into i certainly didn't and i was like broken (laughs) by this film i was devastated like sobbing by uh, about halfway through it is it's a real emotional kind of gut punch of a film about this man who has really secluded himself from society kind of closed himself off to hurt or so he thinks um but then has to return to society and kind of realizes not only what he's kind of missed out on, but also why he kind of hid himself away in the first place. I think it really exposes a lot of the kind of um, hypocrisy, maybe, within the modern world, particularly within the culinary world. There's an amazing scene where Rob, who is a former chef, um, confronts another chef about his restaurant and it's this real like takedown of kind of all the frou-frou bullshit that we get ourselves into to try and kind of mask over the important things and this film really is just about taking a moment to appreciate the important things whilst we have them because they don't last forever and it's just a really beautifully pitched really unique um story and Everything about it is such a kind of thought has gone into it. I think that the cinematography is beautiful. The music is really kind of ethereal and um, kind of has this like forest vibe to it. It makes, I've listened to it kind of independently of watching the film and it makes you feel like you're kind of walking through the woods on your own. And I just think, yeah, it's kind of rare that you find a debut film that is so complete and such a... Um, well executed piece of film and it's really anchored by these incredible performances from Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolfe who I did speak to for the podcast it's all coming back to me now Uh, maybe I was on that podcast (laughs) anyway (laughs) um, it's been a really long year guys Um, but yeah it's got these amazing performances that I think do kind of deserve more uh, love than they're getting within the kind of crowded awards field but even independent of what the awards say it is just a really great film that I think is probably a great Christmas watch as well just because it is all about family and keeping the people you love close to you uh, even after go. they've gone <laughs> so yeah I, I really recommend it and um, I've been lucky enough to kind of introduce people to it and see them having a similar reaction to me which is a really special thing so yeah
2: hannah before we move on can you just say one final word on Nicolas cage in this film because i feel that what's we're speaking the the week that the trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent comes out (laughs) in which Nicolas cage is playing as an exaggerated version of himself (laughs) so pendulum swinging almost back to turning himself into a comic caricature whereas in this one he was he this is almost peak dramatic cage in a way
5: yeah this is much more i mean there's definitely similarities between him and this and him and mandy uh but it's kind of i think closer to maybe something like uh, maybe a cross between leaving las vegas and mandy because he's very world weary in this film but there's just like deep sadness uh, that kind of like you see it come through in certain moments of kind of like um confrontation. And it is just it's such a joy to see him get this chance to uh take roles that I think people expect him to kind of go, you know, full on over the top throffing at the mouth, but actually just be really thoughtful and considered and really make you care about this guy. And the character of, of Rob Feld doesn't feel like a caricature. He feels like this real human who lived this life and has kind of, you know, hid himself away from the world and is now slowly returning to it piece by piece. And it is just, yeah, I am always, like, rooting for the best for Cage. I always think, like... I love seeing him do his kind of crazy, bug-eyed, screaming at the camera type things. And I think he's someone who knows that about him. Like, the you had to take this role in... Um, his next movie where he is just basically playing himself he obviously knows that's kind of his persona um but then he comes and does things like pig and he really turns you know he proves he can still turn it on when he wants to i think he's just someone who's very aware of the easy wins that he could have uh and it's quite refreshing to see him still um able to you know dial it back and um take something very seriously and and turn in a performance that i think is um probably up there with the best of the year
2: Mm. so yes that's pig and listeners you can go back through the archive and solve the mystery of whether hannah was on that episode or not (laughs) and let us know Uh, david what's the next pick of the best films of the year for you
3: well um I just want to do a shout out to to I know this uh, the picks so far have been quite sort of serious angular like you know very very sort of serious subject matter films and I just want to get and, and my other pick is of that ilk also so I just wanted to give a very well yes I'm anticipating that so, <laughs> so I wanted to give a quick shout out to a film that I only saw like last week. But and it and it is definitely not a perfect film, but I had such a fun time with it called Palm Springs. Oh. I don't know if you guys have uh, seen it. Are you, are you, yeah. Oh, Hannah. Hannah is grimacing. Yeah, I've
4: seen it. I didn't.
3: Like H- it. Sophie, not, <laughs> no. Okay. Well,
4: I like. I had to think for a moment because I kind of forgot I saw it. <laughs> so
2: that, 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 yeah, because that that came out in the states last year and finally came onto Prime Video in the UK That's earlier this the year.
5: Time yeah groundhog, so, day. We, yeah. Yeah, it's like groundhog doing,
3: day yeah it's like groundhog day at a wedding um mm. I, I i it was like i i think i liked it because it's like 85 minutes and that that's yeah. that, that's all that's that was just that in itself was a very refreshing aspect of the film and I, and i laughed a few times which was you know <laughs> it's something <laughs> it's we all need in this uh <laughs> This 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 anus mirabilis or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, so, what's, so what's what's your
2: what's the barrel of laughs, <laughs> that you picked for us next, David? So so
3: so I, I I'm pivoting to uh, rape revenge obs, <laughs> and uh, going going to uh, to my other pick is a film called Rose Plays Julie by um, Christine Malloy and Joe Lawler, uh, two Irish filmmakers who have been. Um, they, they sort of began their career as working as kind of experimental theatre directors, really, really interested in kind of drawing in community and amateur, amateur actors and bringing... Like, and, and they made this bunch of short films that are just kind of long single takes with lots of kind of local, local people in the community. Um, and then... Um, They've kind of shifted, yeah, the projects have got bigger and bigger, and this one, Rose played Julie is their most kind of ambitious. They're really massive fans of um, the Italian filmmaker Michelangelo Antonioni and this idea of alienation and identity, and that kind of comes into this story about a woman who is an orphan who, when she becomes uh, of age, she decides to sort of find out about her true parentage and goes down this kind of rabbit hole of bureaucracy uh and uh and 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 some canny internet googling um to to sort of find out where she you know where where she came from and who she came from and uh you know she the the answers readers will shock you uh so uh yeah and it's it's just a very kind of um intriguing and Really, sort of minutely calibrated revenge movie uh, that kind of does things inside out and back to front, and it's it's quite an interesting kind of partner piece to something like Emerald Fennell's pr- promising young woman, and cause in that it's sort of dealing with 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 a lot more politically and culturally than just the kind of mechanics of this genre that is used for you know traditionally for kind of pure. In excitement and titillation, and the euphoria of being able to kind of exact your revenge on someone. Um, amazing lead performance by Anne Skelly, um, and Aidan Gillen-, Gillen does good, good bad guy. Um, and yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I know that these guys struggle to get their films out and get them funded, and I think that I think if there was any justice in the world, they would be, you know, people would be rolling stacks of, of uh, 50s their way to to make their to make their dream projects so you know hopefully in the coming years that will happen
2: so that's Rose plays Julie I still need to catch up with that I know we did cover that on the podcast uh, a few months ago um, I, I love their films so um, that's on the on the to-do list over Christmas break I can't wait to catch up with it Sophie you have the responsibility of rounding off this section with mm-hmm. one more pick from yes. the top 30 no mm-hmm. pressure. What are you going to go with?
4: Well, interestingly, I've chosen a film. I mean, it's actually not for me to say whether what I'm saying is interesting. Um, But (laughs) um, I've chosen a film that I, there there are many on this list that I prefer. I think in a way, this is an interesting failure. Um, It's also on the note of Revenge, it's a revenge film. On the note of Heaviness, this is maybe the bleakest film of them all. Um, And no surprise, it's from the King of Bleakness, the, the fan of God's... Lonely Men, Mister Paul Schrader, um, the Card Counter, which is, oof, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a real journey into the dark underbelly of what man is capable of, and is it is a revenge film starring Oscar Isaac as the titular Card Counter, and uh, he he's someone who um, has. When the film starts, he's reading, reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations in a military prison, and it doesn't take long to learn that the, the reason he's there is because he was at Abu Ghraib, and you do you do see scenes from Abu Ghraib filmed with a fisheye camera uh, with heavy metal blasting over the top, and that is hard. Um, uh, but yeah, I again, I I I really love his previous film First Reformed and like most other people in the cinephile world, I love Taxi Driver. Um, it doesn't take a genius to see what Paul Schrader is obsessed with, to see what he's personally working out there. And that's sort of the level in which I'm interested in this. Um, I I kind of feel like, it, in a way, he he's like our, our Lars von Trier. You know, he's sort of working out his own demons, but he never really works them out. So then he has to kind of start again and, and do the same thing. And he's just, Man, he's so depressed, and um, he kind of he kind of, he kind of finds like different, di- different different ways into the the same themes about how just like you know a small small little dose of human contact will will provide not redemption but just like a little grace note of solace, uh, and in this case it's it's um, Oscar Isaac's William Tell. He he ends up in a very sort of sweet situation with Tiffany Haddish's Lalinda, who runs a stable of gamblers. And uh, like o- Oscar Isaac's William Tell, he's he's like content after he comes out of jail, he's just really content to live a very, very small monotonous life of driving around these identical casinos, can't, can't card, counting cards, and winning small and counting cards and winning small. So, the stakes remain small and what, what is the catalyst for him wanting to go for something bigger is is like it's a very taxi driver it you know he he decides as someone he wants to try and help and that's ty sheridan's character um and i won't kind of go into their relationship um but yeah so it's someone who's trying to he's trying to claw back a little bit of good from the infinite drop of bleakness and inhumanity and the terrible things that man is capable of and the terrible things that America does that it never answers to um and like I say I don't I don't think it's one of the best it's like wasn't in my top 10 of the year by any stretch because I think whereas a film like first reformed it sort of it 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 sucks you in and you're there throughout it. this, I kind of came and went with it. I don't feel like it's a sort of an ex- exercise in continuous tension. It's, it's, you know, it ebbs and flows. And it, But it, it, I'm interested in also on the level of like the performance that Schrader gets out of Oscar Isaac, who is one of our most interesting and sexy actors, but he's not being sexy in this. Um, he's being broken in this. And I just, I kind of wanted to read out it, this from um, uh, Paul Schrader interview except I've turned my phone off but basically um he he kind of he talks about Oscar Isaac giving like directing Oscar Isaac to give this recessed performance and he's like you're going to be in every scene you know like if another actor comes and steals a scene from you that's fine you're going to outlast them all and it is that he's really retreated back into himself and there's a sort of resignation to it like a steal to it and yeah it's 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 really something to sort of just see someone doing something that is so small and almost non-existent and yet yeah, it sort of carries carries the best that the film has to offer. So, you know, this isn't for me an all-out glowing recommendation. Um, once again, Willem Dafoe <laughs> has been cast for maximum nastiness. Like you see also Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, which is out next year, which I really liked. You know, Willem Dafoe in the, in the role of like abject ghoul um (laughs) yeah so again this isn't like a like all-out like tub thumping glowing recommendation but it's like and it's unlikely to convert anyone who's a little bit on the fence about Paul Schrader but if you're interested in Oscar Isaac um and you have a sort of sort of car crash interest in like how Paul Schrader's soul is doing this is a you know (laughs) this is for you
2: well I think that's a, a good thing to flag Sophie isn't it that sometimes at the end of the year it is just as good to salute those messy complicated films that maybe we didn't all, all outright love but there is something worthwhile in there and absolutely card counter oscar isaac although i think hannah might question whether he's sexy or not in the performance but uh, oscar <laughs> isaac is doing some <laughs> terrific stuff in that film uh really worth watching particularly maybe in a double bill or close to what he's doing in june to see the range that, that man has with and without beard and um. clothes.
4: Can I also flag cuz actually if if we were doing TV shows uh my hands down favorite film that I saw at the Venice Film Festival wasn't a film it was scenes from a marriage
1: mm.
4: uh which I I believe is is available for people to watch and he he's he he's doing a a whole lot in that and he's so sexy in that.
2: Okay. <laughs> can I
5: can I make a TV recommendation as well even though we're not doing TV?
2: We can do TV recs. What's yours? Well,
5: sit so on the subject of us being very serious on this episode, because we've chosen really serious films, I would like to recommend uh, The Delightful Only Murders in the Building, uh, which is a, how would you describe it, like a a comedy drama about uh, Steve Martin... Selena Gomez and Martin Short living in this apartment block in New York, this very, very lovely apartment block, and starting a true crime podcast together. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous even saying it, and I was so sceptical. But it's been the highlight of my year. It is just absolutely delightful. You can watch it all now. I think it's on Disney+. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, I said, like, ten episodes um, of pure kind of delight and there's a great cameo from Sting, like a recurring joke throughout the season. It's just a very, it's just so great to see Steve Martin and Martin Short, you know, two comedy legends at the top of their game. And Selena Gomez kind of like really keeping time with them. She's really great in it as well. And it is like pure, uh, if you're looking for something a little bit, a little bit lighter after all this uh, doom and gloom we've been uh, recommending i would i would highly uh highly say treat yourself at christmas and get stuck into it can i have a quick
3: tv recommendation as well
2: yeah go ahead david would you have a tv i want to recommend
3: rainbow rangers on netflix (laughs) it's uh it's a kid's film my daughter's favorite show it's about seven princesses and a unicorn called floof and they go (laughs) out they all have special powers and they save people from things
2: i'm surprised david there has been a new series of bluey this year and you Uh. didn't go for that you've moved on already (laughs) rainbow rangers all the way um sophie since we're going on slightly more positive recommendations after all the doom and gloom of these picks did you have something i remember when we spoke maybe a year ago now you mentioned music and lyrics was a film that you were returning to something that um you know was a balm for your soul is there anything this year that's uh maybe more positive that you want to shout out
4: i don't have any positive thoughts or recommendations <laughs> but what i want to fly the flag for is the catharsis of, of marinating and gloom because you know it can make you feel seen in the deep dark recesses of your soul and it can make you feel slightly better because you're like wow this like fictional terrible thing hasn't yet happened to me so maybe my life is good
2: That is such a good note to end on. Listeners, there are 24 other films in the top 30 to look at, to argue over, to pick through. We'd love to hear what you make of them at the usual channels via email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or you can tweet us at... LW Lies. Sophie, Hannah, David, it's been a pleasure podcasting with you today on this bumper end of year episode. Listeners, we're off next week, but in our first new episode of the year, we're going to be talking about some big hitters. We have Licorice Pizza, the latest from Paul Thomas Anderson. We have Maggie Gyllenhaal's debut directorial feature, The Lost Daughter, starring Olivia Colman. And we also have a very special film club recorded live at the Prince Charles Cinema about Paul Thomas Anderson's punch-drunk love listeners please subscribe wherever you pod and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews we'd love you to leave one for us thank you for listening today and all throughout the year and we will see you next time Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong, David Jenkins and Sophie Banks Kaufman. The podcast is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel and is edited by Steph Watts.